Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Tim, uh, like Brian said, I'm the original pastor. That's uh, what they call the old guy that's been around forever. It's always good to see everyone. We are moving into a new year, out of the old year, and I love this time of year. I like to say goodbye to a year, and I like to say hello to something that hasn't happened yet because it's still yet to be experienced. It's yet to be written. It's a blank canvas, and indeed, there'll be things that will enter it that we won't have any choice over maybe during the year, but much of our life for 2013 is in our hands, and how we approach it and what we do with it uh, makes a lot of difference this time next year when we look back on it. And so uh, what we're going to do over the next uh, like four weeks, all the way through January, is we're going to take a look at, uh, it doesn't sound real sexy, spiritual disciplines. That doesn't sound like, oh, woohoo! Oh, man, that sounds so exciting. But, you know, I, I want us as a church, and this is a, a message for our church. I'm glad our guests are here. I hope you get to see a, a view, a little bit of a picture of what it means to follow Christ. Uh, and if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't given in to God's wooing of your life yet, I hope that this morning you will hear and see just a little bit of what it means to take that step with God into the future that He has for you. I read this statement by Dallas Willard years ago in the book called The Great Omission. Wonderful book. But Dallas says, there is absolutely nothing in what Jesus Himself or His early followers taught that suggests we can decide just to enjoy forgiveness at Jesus' expense and have nothing more to do with Him. But yet, in many ways, uh, we church people, that's what happens to us. We receive His forgiveness, and we're a little bit excited about it for a while, but then many of us, we get pulled back into the routine of life, and we go back to things as usual. I just think we're probably selling God's power and what God has offered to us a little short, maybe, if that's all that there is in this thing. And I don't think there is. You know what we fall back on, though? We get excited about Jesus, and maybe we're out of the gate, and we're flying, and then all of a sudden things don't go well. We don't behave the way that we think we should or what we were told it was going to be like, and that's when we go by the bumper sticker. You know the bumper sticker, right? Put it up there, Tracy. There it is. That's the bumper sticker or the the license plate we get when we realize that things just aren't quite working out. You know, I'm not quite behaving like what I read about in here. And so, indeed, Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. And for some reason, that excuse or that reason doesn't hold a whole lot of, you know, cred with people out there watching us. That doesn't carry a whole lot of weight 
with people when they look at us, those of us who say we're followers of Jesus, and we go, well, you're getting it wrong, you know, like we're just Christians, we're forgiven, but there's no difference in us and anybody else other than the fact that we've asked Jesus to forgive us of our screw-ups and that's it. Other than that, we're the same people. And I, I don't know, I, I know we're still human, we struggle with things, but there's a part of me, and when I read this scripture, it leaps out to me that there is a life beyond what we accept many times. That Christ has called us into. I mean, we want to do good. We want to do what God tells us to do. But you know what? We are prepared, willing, and able to do wrong. I mean, we are very good at it. We are. And then I read scripture like John 8, 40, uh, 34 through 36, where Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, so if the son sets you free, you're how free? Free indeed. I want to know that free indeed part. I want to know that. Some of you know I work with church planters, and one of the questions I ask these young pastors as they start their church is, what kind of church do you want to have in three years when they start their church and their sermons and what they're preaching on? What do you want your church to look like in three years? Do you want it just to be big, or do you want it to be spiritually big, people growing inside? Do you want them to be more passionately in love with Jesus? Do you want their marriages better? Do you want their businesses better and, and, and led much more in a moral way, the way God says? Do you want that? How do you want your church to look in three years? And I'm always reminded of that here. What do I want us to look like in three years? And so coming to the end of a year, I revisit these things again for my own personal life and for us as a church. A.W. Tozer said that salvation apart from obedience is unknown in the sacred scriptures. <laughs> It's not, it's, it's not like, oh, I'll take salvation, but I won't ever learn how to get your heart, Lord, and walk the way you want me to walk. I mean, let's just face it. In, in all honesty, I know I'm coming out of the gate strong today, but it's the end of the year. Okay, here we go. But uh, let's, let's just face it. Look at your life and ask yourself this. Could I do most of everything I do in my life right now without Jesus? I mean, think about it. You know what? The sad story is that the answer is what? Yes, for the most part. I mean, you could go on and you could have your family. You could do your business. You could continue on as you are. But I think a question now for us to ask is simply this, you know. Do I want to stay like this for the rest of my life? Do I want to stay like this? Am I happy with being just like I am for the rest of my life right now? I'm not. I mean, just as your pastor, this pastor is not happy being like he is. I want to know Christ more deeply. I want to be more obedient. And I want a church that is more obedient in love with him and also in love with what he's in love with. That's what I want. That's my desire. So I've called this... Ruin for the Ordinary, Reaching for the Extraordinary. And this title came, the first part of this title came out of a book I read probably 25 years ago by a wonderful lady named Joy Dawson. Joy Dawson wrote a book called Friendship with God. And in the first paragraph of that little book, 
She says, once you have experienced friendship with God, you are ruined for the ordinary. Oh, I thought, what a phrase. What a beautiful statement. Once you ever taste that life with Christ, ordinary life, it's just, it's just ordinary. And so as a church, what I want us to do in January is to begin to reach toward that extraordinary life that I believe Christ has provided for us. So let's pray. We're going to jump into the first part of this uh, today. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you breathe life on it. I thank you that uh, we're here about to approach a new year. We look back over 2012 and we say thank you for the things that you have provided, the happiness, the joy, the way we've seen you work in our life and in our church, our families, our friendships. Well, Lord, we also look forward to 2013 and we say we want to, to be different this time next year, but I want to be different next week. I'm impatient, Lord. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, I want to see some change in me now. But I realize that it, the now begins now, not tomorrow, not the next day, but right now. And so, Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for you to help me this morning. Lord, you give the gift of teaching. You give good gifts, and I need that. I don't need my opinion here, Lord. I need the gift of teaching, and I ask for it this morning. Holy Spirit, come and help me in my weakness. Just breathe life on your word, and we welcome you here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I thought I'd bite off like the most controversial of all spiritual disciplines first, which is fasting. Um, Reason, because set it up and you've got three or, three or four days here to eat all you want and uh, enjoy the ball games. And uh, then we have the month of January to kind of develop this in our lives. Let me give you a little history of our church and, and the place that fasting has in it. I'll just be honest with you. I've probably fasted in my walking with Jesus these 40 years now only probably 10 or 15 times and I'm just going to be honest with you it's not, it's not my cherished most wonderful spiritual discipline and, uh, and it's usually been at times when I really there was something going on in my life it wasn't like an incorporated part of my life at least the planned fasting as you hear more of this this morning you'll understand God draws you into fastings at times that you don't even recognize but God is working in your body through you to draw you into a place of fasting. And you do it without even realizing what God is doing. But in this church about three years ago, we hit a spot where we needed a building. We needed a new place to go to. We were up uh, north in the, between North Myrtle Beach and here, about seven miles of here, renting a storefront that was costing us almost $10,000 a month. And we had been paying that for 10 years almost. And it was a fourth or a fifth the size of this complex. Uh, someone came along. We knew we had to get out of there. We didn't know how long we could stay. Uh, s- someone came along, some very nice person in the church, and said, hey, I'll put a down payment on a piece of land for you. You go find it. I'll give you the money for the down payment. And so we got out, he and I, and we drove around all of Horry County. We couldn't find anything we could afford, pretty much, but we found six acres of land out on Highway 90 and 22, right pretty much in the in the crux of the road, the cross of the road there, and a very nice piece of land right on 22. I didn't feel great about it, but all the doors were slammed shut. We had to make some kind of movement, I felt like. We went so far as to have preliminary drawings uh, done, 
And then I guess it was in July, three years ago, uh, we were just about to pull the trigger on this thing to see if we could, could do it. And this guy, a friend of mine in the church came to me. And I mean, I was wrestling with this thing, folks. I just want to tell you, I was wrestling big time with doing it. He came to me and he said, Tim, do you really feel good about this? I love people who can ask you honest questions. And I said, no, I don't. I don't know what we can do, though. I've got to find a home for, for our church. I, I, we've got to find a spot for us. All the schools are taken by other church plants. There's nothing we can afford. Somebody's given us the money to make the down payment here. I don't know what else to do. And he said, give me 30 days, and let's see what God will do. So he and three, two other friends, the four of us, formed this little team, and we started going back out into this community, praying, looking at every piece of property. And in the winter, three years ago, he grabbed a key and he drove us up here into this parking lot. We went in the multipurpose room down here. We walked in. The four of us got on our faces. We began to pray. And it was really kind of funny. Now, we all raised our head up about the same time, and we looked at each other, and there was this goofy grin on all of our faces. And we went, this is the place. This is it. We don't know how we're going to get it, but, but this is it. Because it was, I think, $3.5 million is what they had it on the little small church like us, $3.5 million. I think we had $100,000 in the bank. That's what we had. And uh, so we said, well, if this is it, we'll, we'll, let's go. And so we made an offer, and the people that owned this didn't respond to us because we insulted them. They wouldn't even respond. We had to get somebody to go to them. And they said, we're not responding to that offer. It's ridiculous. This isn't a distressed piece of property. And we wouldn't sell it to you for that if we were, the whole bank was going under. There's no way you're going to get that piece of property for this. So we came back. We looked at numbers again. You know, we thought, well, we could go up a little bit, but we don't have much room at all. And it's still going to take a miracle. And so one of the guys said, what if we call the church to a fast? the whole church. And then one of the other folks on the team said, hey, it's on 27th Avenue North. Why don't we call a 27-day fast? And so that's what we did. We pulled the church together. Those of you that were with us, you know it was a wonderful time. I mean, we had such a sense of unity and joy in the church, and we were just all focused. And for 27 days, I preached sermons every Sunday on fasting. You're not going to get that in January, so don't worry. You're going to get today, all right? And... Uh, and at the end of that 27 days, uh, on the 28th day, actually, we get a phone call, and they said, okay, we'll take it. 28th day. 28th day. I'm still, I still have the letter in my file because I love it. When it comes back, okay, we'll take it. <laughs> and I'm like, Wow. And it would be very easy to, to say or to think that A led to B led to C, Right? A, the church fasted, led to B, God moved on the hearts of those people, led to C, they decided to sell us the piece of property. But I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that's, that's exactly how that works. Matter of fact, I think that's kind of a problematic in itself when we think of God like that, that we think that if I do one, he'll do two, then three, then four, then five. I think it was much more about what God did in our hearts as a church. I think it, it was all about that. I think it was all about us realizing that we were a church, we were a family, a spiritual family who needed a home to meet in and listening to God where he was steering us and into what community he was going to lead us into.
And so fasting has been a part of this church as far as us getting here. It'll be a part of our history in the days ahead. When I'm long gone, if God allows this church to survive, they'll talk about this maybe 100 years from now. That building that we were in, you know, it came because the church fasted, because they set their face toward God, and God did something amazing in their midst. It's a part of our history now. A couple of years ago, we did another fast, and, and we fasted and gave away an offering uh, that was that, to the poor, and we focused in on what uh, God wanted for us the next year. This is our third time of bringing this to the church and saying, join us in a fast. Um, Scott McKnight in his book, Fasting, tremendous book, small book, of, if you would like to read it, Scott McKnight, Fasting, uh, says that fasting is the body talking what the spirit yearns, what the soul longs for, what the mind knows to be true. And uh, I thought, what a beautiful description. I want to read a passage of scripture out of Isaiah. This is kind of the famous fasting passage, Isaiah 58. Read these seven verses and then uh, point out a few things to you guys. Shout it aloud. Verse 1, Isaiah 58. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? That was the Hebrews' way of mourning when they were sad. They'd wear this drab clothes and then they'd take ashes and throw them up in the air on top of their heads. It was very obvious that they were sad and they were mourning over something. It was quite a show. Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to, to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Wow, there's a lot in these scriptures. I just want to point out a few things. There's only twice in the scripture that we're told where God commanded a fast to happen, where God himself came down and told the people, you are to fast. That was on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and then over in Joel 1 and in Joel 2, God came down and he commanded the people. Only twice where God himself called the people to fast. So as far as God telling people to fast... It's not that often that he does that. But there are hundreds of times where God's leaders and God's people decided that they needed to fast or the leaders decided that this was a time when the people needed to fast. But my point for us in this church at this time, and this is in your fill-in that you have uh, with you in your handout, 
is that we need to choose a fast. We need to choose a fast. In Isaiah 58, 5 through 6, the question is asked, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? And then the response is, is this not the kind of fast I have chosen? In other words, you've chosen that kind of fast. That's why you're fasting, but that's not what I chose. You need to choose this reason for fasting. You guys, you who are a part of the vineyard here in this family, as we go into this new year, you have to choose whether you're going to fast. This is not me commanding a fast. Who does he think he is telling everybody to quit eating? By the way, fasting is not eating for spiritual reasons, right? That's what it is. You have to choose. And you have to choose the type of fast that you want to participate in. You can choose not to. You can choose to. But I'm asking for us to choose. And it appears that God had chosen a particular kind of fast and a reason. One of the things that he points out, Isaiah points out in the beginning and it sounds very noble, but in verse 5, it, it says, Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? I mean, humility's good, isn't it? I mean, could you use a little humility? If you say no, you know what that means. <laughs> I mean, we could all use a little humility, right? And so we always, a lot of times we look at fasting and we go, I need to be humbled, so I'm going to fast. And then and, and there is a humbling that comes in fasting. Not always. Some self-righteous religious people are very proud of their fasting. During Jesus' day, the Pharisees, you know, would walk around with a sad face. It's just like if I was around here in the coming weeks while we do a fast, you know, and I'm walking around, and you guys, when you come in, you go, Tim, how's it going? Say, okay. It's like, are you all right? Oh, I'm okay. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. What's wrong? Well, I've been fasting for four hours. I just, <laughs> just don't know if I'm going to make it, but I, I'm feeling very humbled right now, and I just want you to know I'm humble, and I'm humbled, and I'm humbled. It's like God was saying to the people in Israel, that, is that all you want to do this for? Is it just so people can look at you and think you're humble and lowly and meek? Is that what this is about? Is that what the fast is about? Just humbling? And then in verse 6, he asks this question, is this the, not the kind of fasting I have chosen, the kind that God has chosen for them? And he says, to loose the chains of injustice. Well, justice is one of the reasons to fast, to see justice come to see maybe some attitude in ourselves broken where we judge and we're prejudiced and we're biased and we're angry people. And boy, we could, maybe the whole nation needs to go into a fast right now. I don't know. It's like a place where we can see people differently than we do. Justice. There should be more to fasting than just leaving us hungry. And God forbid more self-righteous. If we come out of something like this and we're more self-righteous and pompous than we were when we went into it, we failed. All we've done is become hungry. That's it. That's it. Fasting, the fast that God chooses out of Isaiah 58 is to see justice come. And justice comes to people who have experienced injustice. 
And it should come through God's people. If you read on, he says, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free. It's about freedom for people. Justice brings freedom. Jesus paid the price so that you could be free. Jesus came, and what did he do? You look at his life through the Gospels, and everything that you see Jesus do, the church should be doing. He brought justice to the world. He freed the sinners. He forgave people who were broken, who were stuck in their addictions over and over and over again. Jesus would come to their life and free them. When he saw the hungry, his insides would cramp up with compassion for them, and he would make sure they got food. Justice, freedom, freedom for you, freedom for me, freedom from our hypocrisy, our self-righteousness, freedom to be the servants that God intended for us to, to be. And that seems to be part of this too, is not to share your food with the hungry in verse 7 and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. That's what a fast should result in, seeing justice come. Fasting is about three things. Your next fill in there. Fasting is about three things. One is attentiveness. And it's not so much about getting God's attention. I need somebody to help me up here. Let me see. Who can I pick on? Chip, come up here. Chip doesn't mind. That's why I'm doing this. I want you to look at Les right there on the end with all the compassion you have, all right? Because he needs it, so just look at him, all right? <laughs> it's not about us getting God's attention. God! Hey, look at me. I'm fasting. See me, me, me. Look at, ah, no, 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 no. No, no, no. No, no, no. Don't keep it right there. Keep it, keep it right there. <laughs> keep that compassionate look. Because what it's about is as we fast, we begin to see where God's attention has been going. That we see what has God's attention. It's the one who needs compassion. And as we fast and put ourselves before God, God breaks our heart and we begin to see what he sees. Thank you. Good job, except for that one little relapse. <laughs> John five nineteen through 20. Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. And in fasting, we get to see what the Father sees. He can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. You know, the Father wants to show you where his attention is. He wants to let you see who he sees and who he has compassion on and who he wants to see cared for and taken care of in the love of God shown. He wants to include you in that. He wants to give you his eyes just like he showed Jesus what to do and where to go and what to say. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these. That's the promise. What has God's attention? In fasting, as we read these justice scriptures and, and uh, the need freedom scriptures here, 
we see that God always, or the poor always has God's attention. Always. Always. The needy always have God's attention. Those without food always have God's attention. Those without shelter always have God's attention. Those without a friend always have God's attention. Those who are downtrodden, lost in their addictions, feel like they have no way out, always have God's attention. But do they have ours? Do they have the churches? That's what this fast is about. We Americans... We Americans need to have our hearts broken for what breaks God. We have wed this national pride into our spirituality in such a deep way that we don't even know the difference between God's heart for something and what our politics tell us should be valuable. We are a kingdom in the midst of a nation, the kingdom of God. We are a part of it. We are the people of God who get to show the people of the world the true compassion of God. We're the ones called to do that. We're the ones called to love those who have seen injustice. We're the ones called to clothe the people who are cold. We're the ones called to go drill and give water to the thirsty, clean water. We're the ones who come alongside someone who has nobody and befriends them. That seems to me, I don't, even, I don't know how else to read this. It seems to be screaming, this is the fast I choose. This is the fast I choose. And it's about attentiveness and it's about compassion, the compassion of God to come alongside to see what God sees. Jesus would look out, like I said earlier, upon the masses when they were hungry and they were broken down and taken advantage of by the religious leaders at the time. And it says his insides, literally his bowels would cramp up inside of him. He would have such a compassionate feeling for these folks. When's the last time you felt your insides just cramp for someone out of love and concern and care? What could a church look like with people like that who had the heart of God for people? My prayer in this fast, the 27 days in January, is that our heart will be developed Our compassion level will deepen. We will repent of any political stuff that's going on in our heads and in our heart that robs us from being the kingdom people we need to be, and we will give ourselves completely to God's compassion. God, help us here to do it. What could this church look like if we had compassion cramps regularly? (laughs) What's going on with him? Oh, he's having a compassion cramp. You know? Wow. And it's about freedom, attentiveness, seeing what God sees, what has his attention about the compassion of God, and it's about freedom, seeing people freed. Yes, it's about seeing you free because you realize that as you see God and what has his attention, God's eyes will be on you. And someone who finally gets God, who sees what God sees, will see you and maybe come alongside you to give the compassion of God to the love and to see the freedom come to you. It's about getting released from bondages, not just for ourselves, but for one another. Addictions, that's a bondage. Being hungry is a bondage. Ask someone who doesn't have enough to eat if they are in bondage. Shelter, the oppressed. 
And I want to say this with all clarity, and this is the last fill-in, is that fasting is not about manipulating God. It is not about manipulating God. Do we really think we can twist God's arm? Those of you who have kids, remember when they were really small and you would tell them no and they might grab your leg and start beating on your leg and you just kind of go, <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> you know what I mean? You want that me? Throwing a little tantrum. That's kind of like it is with us. Like, I'm not going to eat till you do this, God. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> have at it. I'm not going to do it. It's got to be about more than that. It's not about manipulating God. It's about joining God in what he is doing. Getting a heart like God has a heart for people. Here's another Scott McKnight quote. Fasting is a response to a very serious situation. Not an act that gets us from a good level to a better level. And... When I started this sermon this morning, I mentioned that you have felt yourself pulled into fast at times. You ever lost anybody close to you? Someone you love? Were you hungry when that happened? You weren't. You lost your appetite, didn't you? Because your body is lining up with what your heart, where your heart is. There is a grievous, sacred moment happening when we lose someone we love. And our bodies are sliding over into this zone to line right up with what the mind and the spirit is saying. That's why food's brought. Why do you bring food over to someone's house? Because they don't eat. They don't feel like cooking. They don't want to eat. And so friends bring over food. And that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's bad. That's a good thing. You get sick. Or someone that you love gets sick and you lose your appetite. Food is not the most important thing when someone you love or yourself is sick and your body seems to be lining up. I mean, it's that like Romans 8, 1 thing, you know, in our bodies and worship of God. It, God made these and we use these as an instrument and he works through them at times. And so your body's telling you when you're afraid, when something happens that shocks you and trauma enters your life, you lose your appetite. Maybe that's the time to pray. That's the time to pull away from the food and you can feel God doing that, pulling you and working through your body at that time. There's sin. You're grieving over a sin in your life. And you get so distressed by that sin at times that you just are disgusted. And you lose your appetite. Is that God pulling you, wooing you to that moment of fasting? There are needs. Needs and you're worried about the needs and you lose your appetite. Is that a time to not eat but to pray? To seek God and you feel God pulling your body in line with your spirit and with the Holy Spirit. In Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 23, the Israelites were told to make their life uncomfortable for a day in order that their entire person would get into harmony with the gravity of their sin. So it would line up with it. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And for seekers, for us, going into this new year, to this new year, we want to line up with God. We want to get God's heart. I want to see what God is seeing in our community. Do you? Do you want to see in your family and your friends and on the job and where you are, do you want to see what God is looking at, what has his attention? 
the foundational sacred moment, this is another quote, the foundational sacred moment for body discipline is consciousness of sin, consciousness of weakness, the need for God's empowering grace, the desire to cut back in life in order to find our center and yearning to grow morally in love and holiness. And in the ancient church, they fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. That was their two days during the week. No, I'm not asking you to fast 27 days. And some of you are like, wow. Man, I was not going to commit to that, you know. I've never asked anybody to fast 27 days. That's the period of time that we're going to set aside. You have to choose the fast. You do. What I'm recommending and what we're going to do here at the staff is on Wednesdays and Fridays, that will be fasting day. Now, on your insert, there are some suggestions on the back of the page uh, of how you might fast. I want to say this. Biblical fasting is not eating. Okay, that's basically what it is. And, and what I would hope is that there would be a number of us in the church that would at least forego maybe lunch on Wednesdays and Fridays. Now, here's what we're going to do. Um, some of us will be fasting from sunup on Wednesdays and Fridays to sundown. Now, that's, a, that's probably what was meant in the early church. That's probably the practice they had is on Wednesdays and Fridays. And during that time, we're going to be asking God to show us what he's looking at and where his compassion is. On Wednesdays, the staff here at the church is going to gather for prayer at 12 o'clock. And um, you're certainly welcome to join us. And then on Fridays, Karen and I, my wife and I, will be in here to pray with anyone at noon for that hour if you'd like to come by. This is during the 27 days of January that we'll celebrate this. Now... All of this is wonderfully whatever, but it's not really good unless we do something with all of this. And as you read the scripture today, it says, verse 7, Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter in Isaiah? So what we're also going to do is encourage you to find a way to serve in the community. But starting next Sunday, there will be two boxes up here on the stage. And during the last part of our worship time, we are going to take up an extra offering, alms. The Bible used to call it the alms offering for the poor. The money you don't spend, see, this is how we come alongside and join those in need. The money you don't spend on food, clothes, entertainment, or whatever, during this 27 days, we are going to give away. So at the end, at our worship time, like in just a moment, you are going to be free to bring that money up and put it in these boxes and every single penny of it plus more will be going to people in need. One of the things we want to do is to the Family Learning Center right down the street, it costs $150 for someone to get their GED. That's too much to me. There are people wanting to better their lives so they can get a job, so they can do better. We want to help. We want to give some sponsorships away. We want to help folks who want to better themselves. That's one of the things we're going to be doing. And so do you get this? We fast, but we fast to get God's attention, not his attention, but to see what his attention is on. Then we also give away what we forego. That puts our heart in the right place. We come alongside those who need justice. We just don't talk about it. We just don't read about it. We don't just write about it. We do it. We come and we do it. My prayer is at the end of January 
we'll come out of this with some deeper spiritual convictions and also we will be headed into 2013 with a heart for what God has a heart for. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Jesus, I have no desire to be some pompous, self-righteous person. I don't want a church like this either. But we want your heart, God. We want your heart. And we don't want to just feel it. We want to do something about it. So as a church, would you come and change us, Lord? Let us see where your eyes are so we can join you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.